Hey, I'm so happy you joined us for Easter. There's no greater Sunday on the church calendar than Easter Sunday. There's no sermon I'd rather preach. There's no subject I'd rather preach on than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to talk to you today about the stories that the resurrection tells, and I want to talk to the story underneath the story, which is the most important part of the story. Go in your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 through 19, and it says, If Christ has not been raised, then your faith has nothing to it. You are still guilty of your sins. And those in Christ who have already died are lost. If our hope in Christ is for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone else in the world. Do you ever look back and realize that you undervalued something? Or you devalued it? You didn't really realize its purpose? When I was a kid, over 50 years ago, my pre-adolescent days, I used to collect baseball cards. And you know what I would do with those baseball cards? I would put those baseball cards in the spokes of my bicycle wheels. Because I thought it made the bicycle sound like a motorcycle. Now, if I had understood the value of those cards, I would have put them in a folder, in a drawer, protected them, because I destroyed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of baseball cards, perhaps, to pretend my bicycle was a motorcycle. Now, I don't know what else you might have devalued in your life, career, job opportunities. I had a chance to work in Saudi Arabia when I was in my 20s. I blew it off. I didn't think it was a big deal. Maybe you've had friendships, which is even more important, people that you look back and you wish you had treasured them more than you did. Well, the great apostle Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 through 19 about a devaluing that is far more serious than baseball cards, far more serious than even job and career opportunities that you might have devalued, even more serious than human relationships. And that is devaluing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, most of us aren't outright deniers of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but what we've done, we've assigned the story of Christ's death his burial, the empty tomb, the resurrection. We've assigned it to a category called uh, inspiring stories and psychological motivation. And for good reason, because there's no story in the world greater for psychological motivation. There's no story in the world that's greater to inspire you than the story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because if you can overcome the cross and come alive again, you can overcome anything. The famous psychologist Carl Jung built, he really built a career out of taking stories, especially biblical stories, and drawing the principles out of those stories and teaching them and creating treatment plans around them. But you know, Carl Jung didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he found power in the stories. And I want to talk to you today about the power of, of some of those stories. Here's they are. Here's, here's some of the stories that I want to tell you that are, that are told, that you are already telling yourself probably. One is that the resurrection tells the no dream too big story. No dream too big. 
Every one of us have looked at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've looked at what he did on the cross and the empty tomb and everything that he suffered and everything he went through. And we have been able to tell ourselves, you know, I can achieve what I need to achieve because he overcame. A man came named Jesus, determined to show that love would win, determined to show that forgiveness was more, was more powerful than retribution, determined to show that love and compassion was more powerful than force and that a suffering savior was was a greater metaphor to live by than military might jesus was a dream saver too in the way he lived his life jesus healed the sick he caused blinded people to see he caused lame people to walk he caused lepers to be cleansed he raised a widow's son from the dead he raised his friend lazarus from the dead But do you know what happened to all those people that Jesus saved and delivered some from demonic powers? You know what happened to all those people? They all died. Paul said, if our hope in Christ is for this life only, we're of all people to be pitied more than anyone else in the world. So they all died because they needed something more than a motivational story. Nevertheless, the resurrection restores hopes and dreams. It really does that. Also, let me tell you something else the resurrection does. The resurrection tells the hope for every hopeless situation story. We've all dealt with addictions we couldn't seem to break. Relationships that we couldn't seem to work out. Patterns of failure we couldn't seem to escape. Chronic illnesses that just didn't improve. People who wouldn't change. Finances that wouldn't increase. No big deal. Jesus rose from the dead. We know there's no situation that's hopeless, right? God is our miracle worker. And we see Jesus. When we know this part of the story, this part of the resurrection story, we see Jesus and his power as the fixer of the problems of our life. Many of you who are now walking with Jesus and many of you who are believers and many of you who are serious Christ followers now, you came to Jesus because you had a problem in your money, your marriage, your career, your job, your health. And you came to Jesus in the crisis and Jesus fixed some of those problems for you or he gave you grace to deal with them. There was just a man this past week who was in isolation with the coronavirus. And one night he tells the story of being so desperate, in so much pain, and feeling so alone, since no family could visit him. The door comes open, and a cleaner came into the room. But that cleaner was a former missionary to Africa who had had to come home from the field and couldn't explain to himself why he had had to come home from the field, but I know why he had to come home from the field, because that man in that isolation coronavirus ward needed a visit from on high. And that, that missionary, that former missionary, comes into the room, or that missionary on furlough, I should say, came into the room, and he began to share about the love of God and began to pray. And the, the, the coronavirus victims, his hope was raised, and he began to get better. That's the power of the resurrection. God has interrupted my fall into despair too many times for me to believe his resurrection power is only for the sweet by and by. 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 and 2 says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of this gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, in which you are, now notice the terminology here, in which you are being saved. The resurrection tells us a story for the here and now. The resurrection tells the, the good, tells the story that good can triumph over evil. Or I said it this way, the resurrection story the resurrection tells us the story of good triumphing over evil. It can be so discouraging, you know, to see evil get the upper hand. Corrupt politicians. Corrupt business professionals who uh, stomp out the, 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 the little salt of the earth person in business. The Loved ones that we have who've gotten caught up in addictions and they can't see, and, and they, we watch them destroy their lives because of evil. But the cross reminds all of us that corrupt systems are still overcome by revivals of goodness because the, the power of the message of the cross has, has put a value into human beings that says, I must overcome evil with good. We have the landlord in Brooklyn this past week who gave all his tenants a month's free rent. And you know what he said? He said, it was because of my Catholic faith that I gave my renters free rent. And, you know, I understand that I'm not saying that everybody who does good and shows compassion is a believer in the resurrection at all. Not at all. And in fact, here's a really important thing to know is that the, the principles of the resurrection and the power, the story, the, the God story of Jesus being the suffering Savior who overcame, who overcame sin by dying and, and, and living again by being the servant king. That story of the servant king has shaped the goodness that is in Western civilization. Go to other cultures. Go to other places, even some other religions, and you won't see that same thing happening because we have a gospel that is shaped by a Jesus who went to a cross, but the cross could not defeat him, and evil could not overcome good. Good won the battle. Finally, the resurrection tells the story, tells the bravely caring Burdens makes us heroes story. Let me say that again so I get it right. The resurrection tells the bravely, bravely carrying burdens makes us heroes story. I watch every, every single week here at Bethany Community Church. I look out across this congregation and I see people that are heroically taking care of, of children and, and young, young people that have such challenging physical and, and, and neurological situations that you care for them. I watch, I watch people taking care of their parents with de dementia and Alzheimer's and, and doing it with such grace and such joy. What fuels you to do it? What fuels you to do it is that story of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that story of the servant king. This past week I was uh, called to a, uh, a, a call to a home where someone had had a uh, cardiac arrest. Uh, as some of you know, I'm chaplain of the Menden Fire Department, and I got the call from Chief Kessler to come to a home where someone had had a cardiac arrest. And I walked into that home, 
And of course, we're all thinking about coronavirus and we're thinking about this, this, this pandemic that's circled the world. And so, sure, we're all trying to be safe and I've got my gloves on and I put my mask on. And, but I watch those firemen and those EMTs and those police officers showing such incredible compassion as they work to try and save that man's life. They were not successful in doing so. And then I watched the compassion to those grieving parents. I'm telling you, my hat went off to them as I saw, I saw, and, and I was so thankful to live in a culture that has been shaped by the gospel story. Now, let's move on though. It's true that even though, even in this life, if all there was was this life, Jesus and the story of the resurrection has brought powerful, powerful change and hope. Granted, if you will make the story of the cross and the resurrection the organizing principle in your life, your life you will maximize your life and you will be a blessing. But let me, let me say, Jesus came out of the grave for more than that. Jesus came out of the grave for more than just being an organizing principle for your life or, or just being a motivation or an inspiration for your life. The whole story is this. Jesus came out of the grave to break the chains of sin, remove the hold of darkness, conquer death, and take his rightful place in history as the king on the throne. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 17 doesn't talk about career advancement. Doesn't talk about wealth accumulation. Doesn't talk about better friendships or lifetime achievements. It doesn't talk about achieving your dreams. Now that doesn't mean the Bible doesn't talk about that because the Bible does talk about all those things. And, and, and it's, it, it's totally right that we talk about them. They're important. Your daily life matters. But Jesus didn't come out of the grave just to give you an inspiring story. In fact, Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 through 19 talks about the guilt of our sins. It talks about our eternal destiny. If the cross and the resurrection is just a metaphor I'm to live up to, where do I go when I fail to live up to the ideal of Jesus? Where do I go when I don't suffer patiently? Where do I go when I don't act like Jesus. If you go down to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 26, you will read this. The last enemy to be destroyed will be death. The scripture says that God put all things under his control. When it says all things are under him, it is clear this does not include God himself. God is the one who put everything under his control. After everything has been put under the sun, then he will put himself under God who had put all things under him, then God will be the complete ruler over everything. The, the, the purpose of the resurrection of Jesus Christ was that God would be the ruler of everything. The same idea is found in Romans chapter 14, verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. No, notice with me, Romans 14 there connects the immortal with the mortal. It's because of what Christ did in heaven that I can be what I need to be on earth. 
It's because Christ did something in the supernatural realm that I can do something in the natural realm, which is to love my brother and love my fellow human being. You see, if we, if we had to break the news to you today that the, that the resurrection didn't really happen, then it no longer serves as an inspiring story. It no longer serves as something to motivate you if we have to inform you, well, it didn't really happen. Our whole basis for our compassion and perseverance goes away if it didn't really happen. But I got good news for you, it did happen. The church of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts would have never taken place if this didn't happen. If the resurrection was just a great story that teaches great psychological and motivational principles that just won't work, let me give you three things that the story of the resurrection will call, call you to do when you realize it's not just a concept, it's not just an idea, but it's a reality. Number one, Christ's bodily resurrection calls us to bow and call him Lord. The people who wrote the Bible, see, they knew all about kings. They knew all about what you do in the presence of a king. They knew that when you go in the presence of a king, you don't go in making demands, giving orders, making, telling him what you want him to do. They knew that when you go into the presence of the king, you, number one, give him honor. Number two, you make your petition. And number three, you hope for grace. You bow the knee. We are not just serving Mr. Rogers with a beard today. We are serving the king of the world when we serve Jesus, the one who's risen from the dead, the one who marched into hell. Many theologians believe he did, that he literally marched into hell and he took from Satan the keys of death, hell, and the grave, and he reigns forever, and the beginning of his kingdom is now. Amen? Satan thinks he's the boss, but we need another boss to show him he's not the boss, right? He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord. The second thing that the bodily resurrection calls us to is to accept our divine assignment. What's our assignment? What are your orders? Well, is it to be a preacher? Is it to be a teacher? Is it to be a singer? Is it to be a business professional? Well, I don't think that captures your calling. Larry Osborne put it perfectly. He said your assignment is to represent him well in everything you do. Your assignment is to represent him well in everything you do. As I said a moment ago, the existence of the New Testament church shouts, Jesus really rose from the dead. And there's a group of people who understood their assignment. Because I now have a king. I have a benevolent king, a merciful king, a king who died for me. And what more could I ask for than to represent him well? So when I suffer patiently, when I have compassion for my fellow man, I am not trying to get him to accept me, but I am just I'm just honored that he has asked me to go represent him well. The final thing that I want to point out to you today is Christ's bodily resurrection calls us, calls us to behave like winners, for that is what we are. I love this quote by Watchman Nee. Christianity doesn't begin with a big do, but a big done. We don't work for victory, we work from victory. 
many of us are aware of the history, and so when I say the word Normandy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it's the place where Hitler's demise was accurately prophesied. We know that was a bloody day at Normandy when our troops landed there and, and thousands and thousands of our troops died on Normandy. But when we succeeded at Normandy, Hitler was defeated. Now, it doesn't mean there weren't more battles. There were, yes, there absolutely were more battles. A lot of people still died. It was a long way from Normandy to Berlin. But Nazi, the Nazi regime and Adolf Hitler were defeated at Normandy even though there was more battles to fight. That's the way the Christian life is. Satan and all of the forces of darkness were defeated on the cross. We are, we are in the march from Normandy to Berlin today, but the battle has already been won. It works kind of like this. As some of you know, I really enjoy watching the, the, the New England Patriots. And I've enjoyed the last 20 years has been pretty remarkable, hasn't it? Six Super Bowl championships. And one of the things on my bucket list was to go to one of those Super Bowls with the Patriots. And some, some of the nice people in this church made that possible for me and uh, gave me a couple of tickets to Super Bowl 49, which was uh, the Super Bowl with Seattle in Glendale, Arizona. And uh, uh, my son Jason and I flew out there to the Super Bowl, and it was just an amazing time, an amazing game, and a, a well-fought a well game all the way through. A lot of you are New England Patriots fans here. You remember what the last uh, three or four minutes of that game was like. Uh, the, the, uh, there's three or four minutes left, and the score is 28 to 24. New England Patriots are up by four points. I'm thinking they got this, and then Seattle began to march down the field. And I remember Jason started getting nervous, and I said, don't worry about it. They got this. They're not going to let them win this game. And then there was that amazing pass that, 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 that Javon Curse shouldn't have caught. And he, he's on his back, and the ball hits him right in the chest, and he catches the ball. And I don't know, he was about like the 20-yard line, 30-yard line, somewhere down in New England territory. And then we start to get nervous. Because those of us who are New England Patriots fans, we've seen this before, right? And then they move the ball, and they get inside the 10-yard line. They're like, I don't know, 7-8-yard line. They hand the ball to Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch, and he runs down to the one-yard line. And then I was a mess. Then I was nervous. Then I gave up hope. I thought, there's no way. It's going to happen again. It's just fate. It's just got to happen. And then all of us are New England fans. We remember that moment when instead of handing the ball off to, to the running back, they threw a pass. And it was intercepted by a rookie free agent named Malcolm Butler. And so we were surrounded by, uh, by Seattle fans. And, 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 you know, in their minds, they had won the game. I mean, the game was over. They had won the game until that play happened. And then all of a sudden, that thing was turned around, and they, they bring the ball out. They, they ran a play, and then they knelt down, and the game was over. And here's what's interesting about that. I've watched that game several times. I've watched the replay of that game probably six or seven times since then. I, you know, it's great to, to remember that moment. And you know why I like to remember that moment? Because we won. I don't, I don't watch those, 
Those, those two Super Bowls we lost with the Giants, I, don't, I never watched those. I don't want to see those. But I watched the one where we won. And, and you know what I, what I noticed? It's when they start to move the ball down the field and Javon Kirst catches that ball on his back. You know what I notice? I don't get nervous anymore. When I see the Seattle fans going crazy, like they've won the game, they're on the one-yard line, and everybody knows that they've got a great running back, and everybody knows if they'll hand the ball to him, he'll go in and score a touchdown. I don't get nervous anymore. You know why? Because I have seen it before. I know what's going to happen. That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Every, see, that's why, it, that's why it is motivational. That's why it is inspiring. Because no matter what comes at you in life now, you've seen it before. And you know who, won, who, who wins. You, you've, as, as we often say, we read the last chapter of the book and we know who wins. That is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason we have all these great stories to tell is because the story beneath the stories is true. I'll tell you, I teach an apologetics class here, the high school st students, and we are just having a blast verifying the validity of the scripture and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know, all of that apologetics, as we call it, which doesn't mean apologizing, all of that apologetics, all that defending of the faith, I love to study that stuff. I love to read about it. I, it's, it excites me. But you know what really excites me? What, what really brings me, what I meant to say is, what really brings me to the reality of the resurrection is when I go and I pray. When I spend an hour in prayer and I feel the presence of God that I don't feel anywhere else at any other place in my life, I walk out of that place and I know this is real. Why do we invite you to pray? Huh? Why do we invite you to pray to accept Jesus Christ? Why, why don't we just invite you to become like Jesus? Why, why don't we invite you to pick up your cross and walk up the hill in order to be saved? Here's the deal. You don't become his child by being like him. You become like him because you're his child. My son doesn't, has not spent one minute of his life trying to resemble me. He resembles me because he has my genes. He has my genes in his body. And that's what happens when you receive Christ. The reason we ask you to pray is because it's all you can do. You're not redeemed because you're like Jesus. You become like Jesus because you're redeemed. You don't, you don't walk that hill of suffering like we all have to do. You don't walk that hill of suffering to be saved. You walk that hill of suffering with grace because you are saved. Take a moment right now. Just I want you to take a moment. And consider the power of the resurrection. And then I want you to consider the incredible, amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Grace, how 
the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace by fears relieve how precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed my chains are gone set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood his mercy reigns unending love amazing grace through men toils and snares we have already come tis grace that brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me on my chains are gone I've been set free my God, my Savior is ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy brings unending love, amazing grace. When we've been there, Ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. My chains are gone. I've been set free. Right now, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. 
to receive his love and to invite him to be in your life as your Savior and as your Lord. So if you would bow your heads right there and just repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, I realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I realize I am lost and need to be found. I ask you, Father, to forgive me of my sins, place my sins on the cross of Calvary, and bring me into new life, new hope, new faith, new purpose. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now that you've prayed that prayer, thank you so much. I'm so excited for you. I want you to take advantage of a tool that we have. It's called First Steps. If you'll go over to bccma.org backslash first steps, you'll find four short films that we have that talk about Jesus, the church, the Bible, and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that will really help you in your walk. And we're also available to help you. You watch those films and you want more help, please contact us and uh, through our website and let us know uh, how we can help you in your spiritual journey. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I pray that you have the most blessed Easter that you've ever had. In Jesus' name, God bless.